You're listening to The Bookstorian Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Hello and welcome to The Bookstorian Podcast. My name is Tegan and I'm your host. This is my first episode for 2023. I've been a little bit busy. I had a baby. Um, So that's meant that it's been a little bit more difficult to organize podcast recordings with other bookstagrammers or interview authors because every day just looks a little bit different for me at the moment. Uh, Never fear, I have had plenty of time to read though and I've read many books this year. So I thought uh, it's halfway through the year, why not do a little bit of a reading update or a six monthly reading update or a 2023 reading update so far. And that's exactly what this episode is. It's going to be a solo episode that whips through some of my favorite books of the year so far. There is also a little announcement I'd like to make, and I will be appearing on an episode of Books to Last podcast in August. So make sure you also follow me on on my socials so you can hear when that is coming out as well. So I've broken this episode down into a few little sections, and I thought I would firstly share with you my reading goals for 2023. And then I'll whip through some of my top reads. And finally, I'll end with what's coming next, uh, what I hope to do with the podcast for the rest of the year. Okay, with that being said, let's jump into the episode. Reading goals for 2023. So I have three main goals for this year. The first one was to read 23 books that are already on my TBR. I thought I'd do better at this. I've only finished six, so that means I have uh, like quite a few books, 17 books that I still have to uh, read by the end of the year. So we'll see how we go. Um, the problem is I'm such a mood reader, so if the mood doesn't strike for me to pick it up, I won't pick it up. We'll see how we go. Uh, The second goal is to read a total of 36 books. So on average, three books a month. I thought that this would be a good goal to have, not really knowing how much time I'd be able to read this year. I've actually now read 31 books, which is an astronomical amount, considering I thought I might not actually get much reading done at all. So I'm not very far off meeting that goal. And my final one, which I feel like I really haven't met, was to annotate my books. And I started off really strong with this one, but I find the urge to annotate some books greater than others. I've also found a lot of my reading at the moment is being done while I'm breastfeeding. So this means it's a lot harder to pick up a highlighter or a pen or a sticky note and pop it in the book to come back to later. So potentially I might get a little bit better at this one as the year goes on. Sometimes I find it difficult to annotate a book if I'm not really vibing with it and I feel like it's one that I'm either going to pop in my street library or potentially pass on to somebody else or even try and sell it. So I am less likely to pick up a pen and annotate it. But there's definitely been a few reads this year where I just really wish I would have annotated or popped a sticky note in. Um, And one of those is Ghosts by Alderton, which I will be talking about very soon. Hey listeners, want more bookstorian content? Make sure you're following me on Instagram at the bookstorian podcast for sound bites, templates, episode extras, polls, throwbacks, and just all around fun and informative bookish content. Instagram is also the best place to stay up to date with what's happening next on the show. Enough from voiceover me. Let's go back to interviewer me. All right, here is the next section of the podcast, probably the one that is going to go for the longest. And that is a little whirlwind trip through what I have read so far this year and enjoyed. 
These books either have a four or five star rating. I have given the away occasional 4.5 star rating. But what I find incredibly interesting about my reading this year is most books have got four stars. So 12 books out of the 31 that I have read have actually been sitting on four stars, which I th think is probably um, pretty good. It means I've been reading some fairly good quality books according to uh, my own set and my own standard. I've broken this down into five different categories. So historical fiction, Australian authors, romance, messy millennials, and I'm actually going to throw in some disappointing reads. It's not something I tend to do too much on the podcast is talk about books that I haven't enjoyed, but there's two more notable ones that are quite hyped that I didn't enjoy so much this year. So I'd like to actually pop them in somewhere to have a bit of a chat about. So I'll start the first category as historical fiction. It is my favourite genre. And the first book that I want to talk to you about is How to Stop Time by Matt Haig. If you loved The Midnight Library, you will probably really enjoy this book as well. So How to Stop Time follows Tom. Uh, Tom wants a normal life. However, he's over 400 years old and he decides to move back to London to teach history at a local school. He hopes to be reunited with Marion and avoid breaking the Albatross Society's number one rule of don't fall in love. Unfortunately for Tom, he meets Camille, who is the French teacher, and his past threatens to unravel to destroy his future. There's a few great themes that I think are relevant mentioning about this book as well. It explores time, love and parenthood, and it absolutely stopped me in my tracks. It was unput downable. And I just got so swept up in the story. I think Matt Haig is a brilliant writer who makes you want to devour but also savour every single page that you write. Uh, there's a few key things that I think are worth mentioning about this book. So if you enjoy dual timelines, so t books that flit between past and present, um, books that have a very strong character arc or char a character development throughout, and it also has some just really reflective moments throughout, some incredible philosophical lines. And the premise itself was just so interesting. I mean, a 400-year-old man who is still existing and fitting in to the normal world. It's a very accessible sort of fantasy or magical realism book for me, I felt. And it just uh, – this was one of the books I actually – annotated thank goodness and highlighted throughout because it was absolutely beautiful so how to stop time by matt haig would have to probably be one of my top reads of the year so far five stars as are the other two i'm just about to share with you as well book two is the four winds by christian hannah this is actually my first christian hannah book which is quite surprising because i say i love historical fiction um, and she's a very renowned historical fiction writer uh, this book is set during the Great Depression and it follows the woes of Elsa and her family after the drought threatens to not only um, end their livelihood but also their lives. Fearful of the future, Elsa is forced to carry on time and time again when her family disowns her, then her husband also flees, leaving her to carry on and be brave for her children. The themes that the Four Winds explores is poverty, motherhood, family, sacrifice and survival. So... I found um, this book incredibly easy to read, but it just, I was immersed so wholeheartedly in the story. The place of, uh, well, I want to say Outback America, but Outback America doesn't sound right, but the West, let's say that, that um, and especially during that time around the Great Depression as well, and just the real hardship that so many people would have been experiencing, not just in America, but also around the world. It was that representation for me felt really real and the way that uh, Kristen Hannah wrote it 
I did also um, completely highlight and annotate my copy as well. I did find this to be a beautifully written novel. And given that I read it like the same month or two um, after I had my son, I think I just resonated with it even more so because the theme of motherhood was just so deep within it. Uh, so again, another absolutely stunning read, a five-star one um, in this category for me as well. Okay, I have one more book left in this category, so bear with me if you're not a huge historical fiction reader, and that is the book Binder of Jericho by Pip Williams. Here's a little bit about the book. Bindery employee Peggy is ambitious, intelligent, and devoted to her twin sister Maud. As the Great War begins, she is one of the many women who remains at home and helps where she can. Her decision to volunteer changes the course of her life when she meets Gwen and then an invisible Belgian man. Exploring the themes of love, ambition, friendship, class, and feminism, the bookbinder of Jericho took me on a journey from start to finish. Now, if you have read the Dictionary of the Lost Words, I think this is a beautifully written companion to sink into. I've heard a bit of commentary about the idea that they're a companion read, so you can read them either way. I would advise against that. You have to read the Dictionary of Lost Words first. I feel like there's just too many spoilers in the bookbinder of Jericho. Like there are things, major plot points that are revealed about some of the characters in uh, the Dictionary of Lost Words. So I feel like it would just really undo uh, that novel, in particular, the relationships uh, explored. In terms of the bookbinder of Jericho, though, there are some great things that I loved about it. The varied cast of characters and the strong female characters are, in, are particularly important in this book. There was a unique setting of the bindery. Like, I find I really enjoy books when it's something different that I don't read about or hear about all the time. Uh, there was also some disability representation, which I really appreciated, especially given its historical context around it as well. And it really explores women who've been silenced in history, just like the Dictionary of Lost Words did. I thought there were some great connections to Homer's Odyssey and Natalie Haynes' novel A Thousand Ships, one of my all-time favourite books, where it also talks about that idea of women being silenced in history and makes some parallels or sort of takes some inspiration from those stories as well. And there was just a great little peek into how books are made, something I hadn't considered before, considering I feel like so much of my life is influenced by books or so much of what I do and talk about um, and who I am is books. So it was, it was awesome to actually hear a little bit about the history of how they're actually made. Um, again, my only regret with this one is this is one of the ones that I did not highlight. And Pip Williams is an absolute master of words. So this book is littered with so many reflective and sparkly phrases throughout and I'm a bit devastated uh, that I didn't actually uh, take the time to go through and uh, highlight and annotate and really sink in and appreciate those words. So that's the three from that category. My next category is Australian authors and there's three books in this category that I would like to talk to you about. The first one is The Seven Skins of Esther Wilding by Holly Ringland. This one was a really close five stars for me, but I think I, in the end I gave it 4.5. Yeah, I did. I gave it 4.5 in the end. Uh, this is what it is about. One year after the disappearance of her sister Aurora, Esther returns home from her memorial. Despite the time Esther and her family still, not, still cannot come to terms with her disappearance, and so she travels from Tasmania to Copenhagen and then to the Faroe Islands, along with the Aurora's diary in search of answers. A deeply moving and masterfully written novel that explores family, belonging, grief and transformation. This book is every bit as enchanting as the cover is. So if you've seen the cover, it has these beautiful metallic 
uh, details on it and this um, incredibly like intricate illustrations as well. It just is this beautiful blend of things on this on this cover. So do me a favor and Google it if you haven't actually seen it. Um, some things that I actually really enjoyed about this novel was how intricately woven everything was. So from excerpts of Aurora's journal to different fairy tales, rituals, indigenous myths, the concept of skin um, and everything else in between. It was just so beautifully interwoven together. I also just really appreciate how much time Holly Ringland, the author, would have taken to create this plot and shape the characters. Like It just worked in such perfect harmony together. Uh, luckily, I was able to actually highlight this one. Uh, Ringland's writing is absolutely lyrical and it was just made it incredibly magical to read. Uh, the, the iridescent and incredibly vivid description of setting and food, an awesome cast of characters and just some like revelations that happen at each place and, this, and the idea that stories truly belong to places um, just as much as they belong to people. Uh, the, for me, always having strong female stories or female representations is important in a novel and this one hit the mark. There was some great moments of sisterhood and motherhood as well embedded within the story. Um, I think there are a few things I found a little bit frustrating, which potentially is why it wasn't quite a five star for me. I felt that there was just a little bit of repetition. However, if you're not someone that reads books quickly, I think the repetition would have been a good thing. Like you would have been able to consider and sort of be reminded about key plot, plot points, especially if you, you put a book down quite frequently. Um, but I stepped away with so much new knowledge of loads of different topics and it just made me want to really go to Denmark and the Faroe Islands as well. It was beautifully done. The second book in this category is The Mother-in-Law by Sally Hepworth. Uh, Sally Hepworth is quickly becoming one of my favourite authors and she's definitely a go-to if you're having a bit of a slump because it's a family drama but it's also written in a way that's really similar to a thriller and I quite often like the different shifts and change in perspective. And the covers are really fun, like really fun different colours uh, that I really enjoy as well. Uh, this is what the book is about. After losing her own mother so young, Lucy hoped that her future mother-in-law would be the maternal presence she craved. From the moment she met her husband's mother, Diana, she knew it was not to be the case. Exploring money, family dynamics, motherhood and secrets, the mother-in-law was a wild and unforgettable ride. So I think for me, the best part about this book was definitely the twisty plot. It was not as sort of character driven. I think it's definitely more plot driven, but you certainly still got character perspective through dual narrative. Uh, a great Australian setting as well. The taboo topic of money and family, like, you know, one of those things you should never talk about money around the dinner table. And um, it's certainly explored that idea of money and, and what to do if your family has, has it. And um, some people want it within that family. I think what was most impressive for me about this story, though, was just how well Hepworth explored how different people interpret different events or different comments or different gestures. So whilst you might be part of a conversation and you walk away with one thing, someone else could be part of that very same conversation and walk away uh, with something altogether different. Um, for me, the, I kind of missed something, I think, about where the money actually came from in the family. might have been I was a bit distracted at the time. Um, however, I've just really enjoyed this read and I thought it was a great one to pull me out of the slump um, and really 
um, feel like I was devouring a novel and um, really enjoying it and a, a great sense of escapism as well. Book number three in this category is actually the only nonfiction book that I've got on this episode today and it is Time of My Life by Miff Warhurst. So I'm a massive fan of Spicks and Specks. I was absolutely thrilled to learn that Miff had her own memoir and so I just patiently waited until I could get it as an audiobook because she also narrates it and I love listening to nonfiction, especially memoirs via audio. Um, the best way to describe this one is that it's threaded together with lots of influential tracks from Miff's life. She recounts her somewhat quirky childhood, her university years and her life on radio and then television. So there's some great funny anecdotes. There's also some, some really sad ones as well that she shares, but I think I just overall really loved learning about Miff's rural childhood her love of music and her thoughts on being a part of Spicks and Specs. It actually made me appreciate the show from a whole new level and that idea of um, her being a female and involved in a panel show and also one that's run for so long and that's been incredibly um, successful, even to the point where they've rebooted it and brought it back. And I think another good point to make about this book was that it's actually really well structured. I think often that can go amiss when a celeb writes a book that often structure gets thrown out the window, but I actually think this was really well done. So if you do like a memoir, if you are a fan of Spicks and Specs, um, or potentially you've heard Miff on the radio, I always even watch her on Eurovision because she does talk about Eurovision as well. I do highly recommend this as a read, especially as an audiobook. So that's the last one in that category. The next one is romance. I actually only have one romance book that I'm going to talk about. Um, and that one is The Dead Romantics by Ashley Poston. It was one that I really wanted to get to last year and it just didn't happen. Here's a little overview about what it's about. Florence Day, ghost writer and a seer of ghosts, is facing writer's block. Unable to finish her latest novel under Anne Nichols' name after a breakup, she begs her new, handsome editor for more time. He flat out refuses, but when tragedy strikes and she heads back home, the last thing she expects to see is the swoony editor at her family funeral home. Oh, and he's now a ghost. So quirky, very quirky um, and kind of formulaic, I guess. Uh, but there were some really relatable and humorous characters within it. I loved the t small town setting and the funeral home as well. Location, again, not a setting or a place that I, you read a whole lot about. Uh, and there was that redemptive sort of character arc throughout it as well with some bookish vibes. I did have to say I knocked a star off because I did have a little bit of issues with the ending. But overall, it was a great romance read. If you do like Emily Henry, I think you'd probably really like this book as well. So the next category is Messy Millennial. Now, I know that there's been a bit of a conversation about that term um, and using it, but I'm kind of okay with it as a millennial. I think it kind of perfectly sums up a whole range of books that are currently on the market and have done so for the, for the last few years. Uh, it is a genre that I enjoy reading, um, no matter the category name for it. So the first book in this genre uh, that I want to talk about is Without Further Ado by Jessica Dentman. Here's a little bit about the book. Romance publisher Willa has been working for the Smith family for the past five years, first as their receptionist and then as a publisher of romance novels. Her method of feeling out the stories that resonate with her love of Shakespeare's work Much Ado About Nothing seems to work. But is Willa also taking her love of this work 
and the romance genre a little too far in her own life. So an Australian author, an Australian setting as well, which is really nice to read about in an actual novel. Um, it's very modern and had a really relatable protagonist. It was littered with contemporary metaphors as well, which I really enjoy reading in a book, which is probably why I quite like this genre. There's a great cast of characters um, for such a short book, probably a few too many. Um, however, it certainly meant the brief for mirroring the plot of Much Ado About Nothing, which is what is sort of promised in the blurb. It's a play that I only have a vague memory of, so you don't really need to have lots of memory about the intricates in, ins and outs of how that play works to actually understand the concept of the book. Uh, it's like a very good romance in the fact that it has a, a deeper exploration of some themes, so a little bit like Beth O'Leary. Uh, if you like her work, this is a book that you'd probably enjoy as well. Although I liked most of the book, I feel like Willa, who's again, is our lead character, had a really like strong decision about not to have children and that's completely fine but it just felt like it was a bit of a broken record that just kept coming back to throughout the novel and I kind of always tend to wince when there's a large gap in time for certain resolutions so potentially again the ending didn't love the ending um, but for the most part I really enjoyed the book and the uniqueness of it as well and this Australian setting made it quite memorable. The next two books in this category I have only read this month and I've actually read them back to back which is quite interesting because they're very similar books and as a mood reader I tend to actually flick a lot between genres and don't tend to read the same genre twice in a row but I just happen to do it this time and these two authors are actually friends. So if you've listened to Sentimental Garbage the podcast or Sentimental in the City uh, with Caroline O'Donoghue and Dolly Alderton you'll know exactly what I'm talking about but I think it worked quite well. I to actually read both of these novels back to back. Um, however, the first one I'd like to talk about is Ghosts by Dolly Alderton. This is what it's about. Nina Dean has hit her 30s. She's a successful food writer living in an apartment she owns in a new neighbourhood and lucky enough to have great friends and a loving family. The one piece she thinks is missing, though, is a boyfriend. Enter Max. Unfortunately, her life slowly starts to crumble when her ex is clearly moving on her friends are shipping off to the suburbs and her father's health is deteriorating. Suddenly life has become a whole lot more complicated. Exploring themes of friendship, family and independence, this book was a fantastic palate cleanser. Um, and holy moly, I absolutely adored it. Dolly Alderton has a fantastic way of writing. It's quick, it's funny, it's highly reflective and there are, of course, some vivid characters and settings laid out. There's always strong character development. And throughout, I just really got a sense of what was going on in this person's life. And the book was comprised of so many wonderful moments. And I just like wish I had highlighted this one, as I said at the top of the episode. Um, it was just so well done. I just really enjoyed reading it. I wanted to pick it up. And being a fan of Everything I Know About Love, which is also by Dolly Alderton, both the book and the TV series, and there was actually quite a correlation to this memoir as well that Ghost had, so I quite liked having the connections between both of those books. And I definitely want to go back and actually re-watch the series, having read Ghost now as well. 
And the final book in this category, and my final actual recommendation for the whole episode, is the book that I have just finished reading, which is The Rachel Incident by Caroline O'Donoghue. The Rachel Incident is a messy, chaotic and all-consuming love story about Rachel and James, a closeted gay man who meet in a workplace and quickly decide to move in with one another. What ensues is a year of chaos, drama, foolishness and most importantly, platonic friendship that will last a lifetime. Uh, this novel took me a little while to get into, but it actually was quite an enjoyable and easy read. It was extremely character driven and focused quite heavily on relationships, which I think I'm starting to understand a little bit more about my reading is that I actually quite like books that are character driven and heavily lean into relationships and not always necessarily romantic relationships either. Um, probably in its purest form, friendship or relationships between um, parent and child or siblings even so. Uh, I liked the setting of Cork in the aftermath of the recession. So again, completely unique sense of place uh, to what I have read before. And really considering this idea of being a new graduate and what that meant being a new graduate in a world where a recession is just taking hold and people have lost their jobs. So there's no jobs for you to actually take. Being only a few years younger than the protagonist upon their reflection as well was nice. I think a lot of the time when you read this like quote unquote, like messy millennial story, a lot of the time it's focused on their early twenties. Whereas this one was quite nice because it was a character in their early thirties reflecting back on their early twenties. So I really appreciated that as well. It was vivid and funny and there were some really memorable scenes littered throughout. There's one that I'll mention that's not too much of a spoiler, but there's this scene where uh, Rachel and James actually throw away the mugs that their ex is drunk out of. And I just thought it was such a funny scene um, and also really just reflective of that kind of silly thing you'd probably do in your 20s or I'd even be guilty of doing now in my 30s. The most important thing I took away from this book though is that whole idea of mythology and your friendship mythology so the stories that bind you or the events that connect you together and like those in jokes that you have and those things that you share with one another and how that really binds your friendship and keeps that friendship going so although uh, I do need to say that first half of the book wasn't overly compelling you needed that first half of the book to then get that really full-on unput downable second half of the book so it just worked so beautifully together I also want to say if you are a fan of podcasts which you probably are if you're listening to this podcast and you've got all the way to minute 26 that you should also have a listen to the sentimental garbage episode where Dolly Alderton actually interviews the author Caroline O'Donoghue about this work because she actually dissects it gives some parallels to her own life and talks about her writing process as well. And there's also a spoiler bit at the end, which I love spoiler bits of podcasts, especially if I've read the book. So I highly recommend if you're interested in this book, pick it up, give the book a read and, and then go back and have a listen to this podcast episode as well. Cause it's just done so well. These, the two have such banter and like laughs between them and, and it's good fun as well. So that is um, all of my recommendations. So now for my disappointing read of 2023. Um, and unfortunately, that goes to Happy Place by Emily Henry. I did actually go back and see that I've given this one four stars, which might have been a little bit generous at the time. Uh, but here is what it's about. Every year, Harriet and Wynne are reunited with their friends at their happy place, filled with wine, lobster and long days in the pool. 
But this year is a little different, as they are no longer a couple and haven't told anybody. Turns out their happy place is up for sale and their friends have some massive news that forces Harriet and Wynne to play the part of a happy couple. If they can last the week together, that is. So there were some great romance elements in the book. Um, so I guess I should also talk about some of the good things about it with not just completely slamming it. Relatable characters, holiday setting, a sprinkling of second chance love and enemies to lovers. And there was clear tension throughout the story. And just some great, like, Emily Henry lines throughout. It kind of felt a little bit like a Taylor Swift song, but if that Taylor Swift song was a book. Unfortunately, I found that there were just too many characters to keep track of. So, typically in a romance novel, you have the two people that are part of the relationship, and in this instance, the book is a male and a female, that I just found there were so many characters that were involved in this story and I got really confused about who was who. I do have a slight inkling that part of it actually comes down to the cover. So if you look at the cover, there's four people on the cover, but the book actually has six people on vacation. So I got a little bit confused between all the friends and who's who and what was the history like for them. And even though I read it quite quickly, it just, yeah, it hurt my brain thinking about it. Um, I am glad that there was a little bit unraveling between the group at the end potentially a bit more realistic of a group holiday, but my mind was just sort of swirling. Um, and then, I mean, look, let's top it off. If you're a bookstagrammer, you know full well that the book also doesn't match the other Emily Henry books in size. So that's also disappointing when a new novel comes out and doesn't sit as nicely with your other books on the shelf. Hey listeners, loving the bookish chat? I'm always elated to see how many of you download, stream and listen to each episode and cannot thank you enough for coming back again and again. If you have time, this is just a reminder to make sure you leave a rating wherever you listen if possible. Ratings help some people to determine if they're going to listen to the show and can also be the first chance I have at drawing in new listeners. Ratings also give me some feedback on the content that I'm creating. Now, let's get back to the books. So I thought uh, what I'll do now is tell you uh, what my plan is moving forward for the rest of the year for the podcast. And my aim is that I want to do a monthly wrap up at the end of every month or beginning of the next month that just sort of details what I have read. And that might only be three or four books. So it might just be a quite small episode that goes for 10, 15 minutes rather than uh, 25, 30 minutes, which is most of the time how long an episode goes for, but I thought it would just be a good way of keeping up with the podcast and giving you guys something once a month. Um, The other idea is that there are a few potential author interviews that could be happening as well. Um, They can just be a little bit tricky sometimes with teeing up times and I can't sort of overload my schedule uh, with author interviews either. I also thought that if I'm doing a monthly update about what I'm reading, it'd be nice to sort of tell you what I'm thinking of reading in the next month so then you can kind of hear uh, she's reading that and hear what I think about it on the next episode. So for me what I really would like to read in July is Funny Ethics by Shirley Lee. Here is the blurb on the back. Funny Ethics catapults readers into the sprawling city within a city that is Western Sydney and the world of Sylvia Nugent, only child of Vietnamese refugee parents an exceptional student, exceptional self-doubter. It's a place where migrants from across the world converge and identify as a slippery, ever-shifting beast. 
Jumping through snapshots of Sylvia's life from childhood to something resembling adulthood, this novel is about square pegs and round holes, those who belong and those on the fringes. It's a funhouse mirror held up to modern Australia, revealing suburban fortune tellers, train carriage preachers, crumbling friendships and bad stand-up comedy. In Funny Ethics, Shirley Lee uses a coming-of-age tale to reveal a side of Australia so ordinary that it's entirely bizarre. And I picked that book up from the library last week and I'm really interested to see how it goes. It sounds funny. It sounds like a unique perspective. A little update from me. I know it has been six months since the last release of a podcast, but thank you so much for sticking around and I hope to have another episode drop late next month to update you on what I'm reading and give you my thoughts on Funny Ethics by Shirley Lee. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bookstorium Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, show your support by following, subscribing, and rating the show wherever you listen, as well as sharing the podcast on social media. If you want to go the extra mile, you can shout me a coffee via Ko-fi. It's super easy to navigate and you don't need an account to donate. You can find the link in the show notes along with a full list of all the books and other media mentioned in this episode. Finally, make sure you head over to Instagram and follow my latest guest as well as my bookstagram at bookstorian underscore and podcast account at the bookstorian podcast.